Yo, and welcome into week six pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro Online. It's walk-ons.com. Find a location near you. And the chances are, if you're listening to an SEC podcast, there's a location that is close to you or there soon will be a location close to you. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, Big Terp here with you for another week. We are all living through Currently, as we are taping this, the Braves trying to clinch the NL East. It's getting a little hairy there in Miami. Uh, The Marlins have a runner on third in the eighth inning. So if we just yell any cuss word, just any of them, (laughs) no, it is not you, listener. It is not your SEC team. It is, in fact, the Atlanta Braves. So go ahead and get that out of the way. CD, how you doing, my man? Glad to be back with you. Are are you you know, ready to go to bat for me as a, not an LSU hater. I need, I mean, I need you to vouch for me. You vouched for me in the past and I, I don't even feel like I've deserved some of this LSU heat that I've gotten. So, uh, today, uh, I did text the group, the pre-gaming group. And I'm like, Hey, like what's going on. I'm seeing on the message boards and for LSU, that's tiger droppings. And look, every sec school has them like basically that Chris Doring was throwing some shade at death Valley. <laughs> like he said, it is a morgue at 11 AM for early kicks, noon, Eastern time, 11 central. And it caught it caught the wave and the wave made its way to me like 97 times because obviously they know we're boys. And I'm like, oh, I can't imagine CD just went out there and, and threw a shot. I mean, LSU's kind of adopted him during that 2019 run. Yeah. And I did go back, you know, I'm a sicko with the film and I went and I watched the film and it wasn't that bad. I, I don't, the context of it, if you know the context of it, you didn't even take a shot. So I'm backing you up. Thank you. All LSU fans, Chris Doring. Loves Death Valley. I he love loves it. the atmosphere there. He didn't get to experience it because it was a Jefferson pilot game when he played against LSU. It was some lean years in Baton Rouge. Yeah. So his experience isn't the experience that we all have come to love. Well, here's the thing. My experience, I played there my sophomore year at night. We, I think we won 52-7, 52-10. It wasn't. It was, like you said, it were lean years. And then we unfortunately went back there at the 11 a.m. Jefferson pilot start. And it was like a, a whole home, like 24, 10 game, just kind of dragging around, no energy. And but, but me, it was more, I was lamenting the fact that this game should be at night. I would love to see Tennessee and LSU play under the lights in death Valley. That was more, I didn't even, all I said was that my experience there that year was, it was like a morgue, but I don't, I, I would want that game to be a primetime game. And unfortunately it's not. It's okay. Like, I'm not going to take a shot at the swamp ever because we're boys. But hey, if you want to take a shot, it's fine. <laughs> I would never take You've a already shot. done it. It's, Dude, no, I it's, love uh, it. It should look, it should be a night game. Like, yeah. I, I realized the networks and it happened to be on the doubleheader of CBS. And I understand that, you know, they made a decision to go with a different game. And then, of course, ESPN is not going to pass it up to put it on the SEC network because. Why would you not put Tennessee LSU on ESPN following college game day for them? Once they had the opportunity and the game was left to them. Yeah. They got to make a decision. And there were some people at LSU that certainly weren't happy. In fact, I I heard through the grapevine, there were some people at the SEC office that weren't very happy. They thought this game should be a night primetime game as well. It's not, it's unfortunate because this isn't the big 10 in the big 10. I do radio with Bobby Carpenter every day. He thinks like big kickoffs for them, they should be noon Eastern kickoffs. Like that's what they think is a big game and that's okay. But at LSU, that's not the case. In fact, LSU's only played like 15 noon kicks in the history of Tiger Stadium ever. They've been playing for over 100 years. 15 noon kicks ever? Yes. 
Really? Yeah. So one of my one my my one of my two trips that's, there. That's what the stat guy told me. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's. Hard I played one. I played one there. Yeah, I played one there. So if you well. played one, I played one, and you know, I don't I don't know what time they played football in 1936, but seems like it wasn't a noon kick. Might have been it, a one o'clock. Might have been 11 a.m. I don't know. I'm just saying noon kicks. It damn sure. It damn sure wasn't night because I know they didn't have lights there for a long time. So <laughs> had to be had to be sometime in the afternoon. It, at any rate, Look, man, that's, at any rate, they try to play under the lights in Death Valley, a Saturday night in Death Valley. There's no place like it. And again, unfortunately, you're not going to get that. And it's a part of your home field advantage. Now, I can't use it as an excuse. Was there a place that you got that you didn't get to experience while you were in the SEC that you wish? Like, I, I literally wish that LSU would have been better when I played at Florida and, and could have had the experience of playing right. a big game against LSU at night under the lights when they were good. I, 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 I regret that. I regret not getting a chance. I never got to play against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Would have liked to have had that opportunity. But is there a, a regret that you have about a stadium that you didn't get the chance to experience maybe in, in the best time of day? to experience it too. I think I kind of got I got pretty lucky like I played in Tuscaloosa when they were a top team they were like number four in the country at the time I, I think they were undefeated that was before Saban got there in 2005 they had a really good squad and then I played against Saban when he was at Alabama Auburn we had epic battles um, you know within the west I think we got to experience all of the meccas kind of at, at a high time at least once during my career, I'm, I'm trying to think if I missed anything. I went to Athens, and one of the few times that we just got beat up on there playing against Georgia in 2004, we go to the Swamp, you know, every other year. So I definitely got to experience that. I was there for the first jump pass when yeah. our guy Tim, I swear, I still think to this day it was a hell of a play by Tim. I still think he thought he was going to get called for traveling if his feet <laughs> hit the ground on that first jump pass. But, uh, yeah, it was a big moment. I'm trying to think. Lexington, we lost as the number one team in the country. They stormed the field. That was, you know, unfortunate on the other side of it, but that was a great environment. Now I'm old, so there was only 12 teams in the SEC. There wasn't 14 teams. So Missouri and AM, they weren't yet in the conference. I I tell you what, I missed South Carolina because if you didn't redshirt, right? If you didn't redshirt and you played four years, you were always going to miss one in the other division. And for me, it was South Carolina. We only played them at home one time. And that's a, that's a really good atmosphere. That's an atmosphere, obviously that gets talked about a lot. We all know the pregame music. We know the scenes there, Williams, Bryce. So for me, that's probably, probably the one that I regret. And I wish I could have played at. I think we both agree that we like the expanded schedule going to nine games, having three permanent rivals and rotating through all the other stadiums. I will hate, you know, I think Florida LSU will probably go to the wayside in terms of an every oh. year played game, which is I mean, probably good for y'all the way that series has gone recently. <laughs> but gosh, it, it hurts me. I love that game. I mean, and, and it doesn't mean to you what it means to me. I think if you're my age group and maybe maybe it started in 97, probably not. I feel like it, it started in the early 2000s, but it's become a series that has been a lot of fun. There's pettiness. There's some hate, there's some respect, there's some craziness with fog and, and you know, fake field goals that bounce right back up to the kicker. Uh, I mentioned the jump pass for Tebow. I mean, there's been so many moments in that series. And I think for my school and for your school, it's going to probably go to the wayside. And there's some people that might actually 
be happy about that, but I'm not one of them. I know you I know you said it doesn't mean the same to me. And certainly LSU wasn't that good when I was at Florida in the 90s. But I do remember the years of Tommy Hodson and, yeah, and played the, every year, every since what yeah, the 70s. I grew up watching that game and, and watching the uh the the uh great players that that LSU you know, had, and it was a weird series back in the day because it was, it was the visitor that usually won that series for a long stretch of games. And so yeah, Dalton Hilliard was another guy yeah. that I, I remember as a kid, like just a uh, big fan of, of uh, uh, Todd Kinchin. I mean, there's just a lot of different LSU fans that uh, are a lot, a lot of LSU players that I watched when I was younger, that uh, it was, a, it was a good rivalry. So hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll retain that in some form fashion. But uh, changes are definitely coming. But I, I feel like we're talking off-season stuff right now. We're in the middle of the season, heading into week six. And here we are discussing, you know, changes in structure of the SEC, which sounds a little more like a, a June topic to me. Yeah, you know what? We're versatile. That's all we are. We're just <laughs> versatile, okay? Yeah, we can go here. We can go there. We can go everywhere. And that's what we did to start the show. And I'll be honest with you, for my hold the beer – as we typically start the show with a hold my beer and my hold my beer moment over the weekend, I'm going to be short and I'm going to be sweet. My hold my beer for this week five in the SEC, Alabama's got their swagger back and you need to be on the lookout. And it's that's it. Alabama has it back. You better be on the lookout. They figured some things out. They've got some receivers stepping up. They just put a backup quarterback in there and didn't miss a beat. They just ran for another 75-yard touchdown against Arkansas. I mean, it just seemed like every time I blinked, there was a 75-yard touchdown run. They figured out some of the deficiencies that they had. It wasn't a lot, but they got those things figured out. My hold my beer is Alabama swagger because yeah. it's back. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. My hold the beer is going to be a little bit more of a negative, sarcastic one in that it stays in that same Alabama-Arkansas game. You guys thought that Arkansas's pass defense was bad. Well, hold my beer for a second. We're going to show you what bad really looks like as we, uh, in the first quarter, Bryce Young throws for 173 yards. If Bryce stays in that whole game, it's probably 52-10, probably throws for, you know, north of north of 400-plus yards. And and I don't understand it. And, and, and maybe we save this conversation for – when we get into talking about uh, where Arkansas is in our last call segment, yeah. but like, dude, they played so much man coverage and they play so much man coverage with no help in the middle of the field. Like you letting these receivers from Alabama get free runs at you and you got no help. There. I mean, it was like, it felt like arena ball. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I have the utmost respect for Barry Odom. One of the reasons why the Arkansas program is, where it is right now in the third year of, of Sam Pittman's tenure there is like he came in and they got that defense playing really well, really quickly assignment yeah. sound techniques, strong, uh, just doing the little things correctly. And then all of a sudden this year, I don't know what happened. And we, that's not even mentioning the 317 yards that they gave up on the ground. Yeah. There were, I haven't even gone back to count it yet though, Hess, but like there were multiple touchdown runs where backs didn't even get touched. Like they were such large holes. There's nobody in, in beyond the first level there, the, the defense. Like, nope. It's just to me, it, I, I can't believe that this is what Arkansas's defense has become. So my my hold the beer is say, hey, you yeah. thought we were bad. Let me show you what bad looks like. <laughs> yeah. And you've heard me say this before. 
I think Arkansas over the last two and a half years, the reason that I enjoyed watching them so much is they were interested in tackling when nobody else in college football seemed like they were. But even some of that, it's gone away. That's You knew some, when you played them. They yeah. can't tackle at all. Look, and I know they lost two of their starting linebackers, but Bumper Pool's still there. They still got guys that we've seen do it before. And even Bumper Pool, I respect the hell out of Bumper Pool, not because of his name. Now his name's a part of it, but because of his play on the field. And he looked like he was in the spin cycle a couple of times. Yeah. Missed tackles. When he was a spy, he shot the wrong gap. We haven't seen that from him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, ironically, the best player on that defense is one that wasn't on the team last year that transferred in from the he's, opposing team. He was on the other team. Saturday. Yeah, so it's uh, it's an interesting time in the SEC. It just yeah. as a whole, man, like I think still we're, we're almost halfway through the season and the same debate that we had in uh, July at SEC Media Days in Atlanta is the one we're having now. Like, who's the third best team yeah. in the conference? Lots of different varying opinions on a lot of these teams that are kind of jumbled up in the middle right now. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. I mean, a lot of the narratives that we had, I mean, that that was one. It was, you know, a narrative. We're, we're going to get to LSU later, but, like, the narrative for LSU was, you know, I, I don't really think they're the third best team, but they're talented, and they can probably find a way to beat a lot of teams, and, like, I still feel like that about them. Uh, the things that we thought about Texas A&M coming into the season, I mean, they're playing out just right. like we yeah. thought they would. So, like, some of that stuff is still there and it's playing out. And the third best team conversation, it's still being debated because, uh, I mean, even though Kentucky lost, and I mean, we're going to get to that game later on. Like, even though they lost, I'm like, man, how many chances did you need in that game yeah. to prove that you were the third best team in yeah. the SEC? Big Turp, do me a favor. Maybe uh, next week or the following week when we get to the true midpoint of the season, I'd like to have a, a segment where we look back like, what we knew, what we thought we knew. You know, I, I think you're right. The Texas A&M take that you and I had has been spot on. Um, but there hey, are we some got some things. eyes. We got some eyes. So full disclosure, uh, CD and I, I won't, I won't mention names. We went to a dinner in Atlanta, SEC Media Day, <laughs> and it was full of people that cover the SEC on a national level. And when we threw out our Texas A&M takes, we got some eyeballs shot right back at us. And we're like, I'm just telling you, that's that's how it's going to play out. And yeah. we were pretty confident about it. And it's played out exactly like we said it would, like per position, per game almost, like it's played out that way. Well, let, let's start. Well, I think it's a good place to, to start with our last call, uh, Big Turp. I mean, you want to rip through the West and, and maybe we do start with Texas a and I think we should do that. Let's do it right now. Uh, beers have been held. Let's, let's get some last call. So <laughs> Aggies, CD, we'll start with you because you're, you're eager here. I am eager, and and I don't want people to come off thinking that I'm you know anti Texas A and M at all. It's just the things that we had concerns about. Has like we, I, I never played against Texas A and M. Like yeah. I would have no reason yeah, to exactly. have any bias against Texas A and M. Yeah, they weren't in the league when we played in the league. Yeah, nor do we have any bias against any other teams in the league. I genuinely love all of these teams you in do. this conference, yeah. but I would say you know the the thing that stands out to me is exactly what the issues were last year. Like. How did we not get the offensive line fixed from last year? How did we not get the receiving core fixed from last year? How did we not get the quarterback position fixed from last year? Now, I feel terribly for Haynes King and for Max Johnson because they're under duress every single time they drop back to throw. Uh, but all of the same issues last year are still the same issues this year. They look very much like the team that we saw last year that, that struggled early in the season. And maybe they'll be able to get some things together. 
But the other big question that we talked about on the show this morning, Hess, was like, yeah, the excuse is, man, we're really young at a lot of positions. Well, why are you really young? It's not like Jimbo Fisher took up, took over this program this year or last year, right? He's, he's right. been there. This is fifth year. Like, why are there so many young guys that are playing such crucial roles on this team right now? And here's the deal. And you know this as well as I do. If you're a elite program in the SEC, you're probably going to be young almost every single year because your juniors are going to the NFL early and you don't get a chance to get your players for four years. Most of the time it happens at Georgia, at Bama, at Florida, at LSU, all across the board that happens everywhere. And you have to be able to develop young football players to be ready to play. Like when I sit here and I turn on the tape, they've got talented freshmen. Now though, in college football, it's not like it used to be. You don't redshirt. You're not, hey, let's baby step this thing. If you are a true freshman that's playing, you got to be counted on because you're going to have a young team in spots if you want to be elite. That's just Georgia's going through it on defense right now. They're still number two in the country. We'll get to them, but like I'm looking at the receiver position. I see the talent. I do. But their receivers right now on pro football focus, which look, I trust these grades because I watch the tape and it tells the same story that my eyes do. Your receivers are grading out at 53 63.9%, 50.8%, 53.3%, 48%. That's your receiver group since Anaya Smith went out. That, that's your group. That's who you're rolling with right now, and it's young football players. It's hard to play that position as a young football player. I'm not saying it's not. It truly is. There's a lot of things that you see that even in the day and age of 707 and throwing the football in high school that you haven't seen. But you know what? Like, you have to have young football players step up, and they're just not doing that. When I look at the grades at the defensive side of the football, they had a lot of five-star defensive linemen. Listen to their defensive linemen grades. 58 55 54.7%, 53.7%, and 51.2%. That's failing grades. It's yeah. failing grades across the board. They currently, right now, they have three starters on offense and two starters on defense that have passing grades for the year, and those would all be considered C grades. They're in the 70s, low right. 70s. So let me ask you a question, and, and, and this is a tough position for you to be in because of your relationship with Jimbo Fisher, but yeah. – is this coaching staff not doing a good enough job at developing the talent that they have or putting them in positions to be successful with the schemes that they're utilizing or, or what? All right. So when you watch the scheme and I've made no bones about it, I'm, I'm here doing this show because of Jimbo Fisher, he gave me an opportunity to play running back. And so I'm, I'm forever grateful for him. But when I turn on the tape, I think it's a lot of doubles two by two, um, we're going to, you know, kind of roll with this. We're not going to have a lot of shifts. We're not going to have a lot of motions. There's not going to be a lot of new creativity in the offense. Yeah. And I think they're struggling because of it. And typically if you go doubles, like you go two by two, like you think you have an advantage athletically over them. You think your guys can get open without having to create, uh, you know, Hey, I'm going to move here so I can hit this yeah. route on the move and the, and the DBs late getting there, whatever it might be. You're trying to create an advantage with the movement, with the shifts. That's why you do all that. You don't do it because it looks pretty. You do it to create an advantage and they're not doing things like that. And on the offensive line, um, you know, they're not holding up. I mean, it's just a lot of things. I mean, see, I could sit here and I could point out seven, eight different things to why the offense just isn't working and, one of them is, I think, the lack of formations. I think one of them is 
when you look at the right side of their offensive line, I think they're struggling a little bit. I think there's positions where they're just not developed like I think Texas A&M thought they were going to be. Yeah. I, I just uh, – I mean, when you turn on tape, I mean, you, you're you the same as me. You like watching tape. You turn on yeah. offense. It is. It's a lot of two-by-two two, um, kind of vanilla offense. It's painful to watch. It's hard. It's difficult. You know, nothing looks easy for them offensively. Everything is 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 a challenge. Um, you know, that there are plays to be made at times, but protection breaks down or the quarterback misses them. Um, but I, I just I – don't, I don't know that they do enough for the receivers. And it's funny you mentioned – yeah, using motion to help guys get open or different stacks and switch releases and things like I don't know if there was a more outside of that 2019 LSU um, offense. I don't know if there was a more fun offense to watch than 2020 Alabama. What Steve Sarkeesian did, and those were very good mm-hmm. receivers that could get themselves open, but yet you'd see them motioning Devontae Smith around. You'd see them being able to, to work into a stack where they could get, you know, defensive backs playing on different levels and get free releases and crossing guys up. Like that was, that was maybe one of the most fun football offenses to watch. And um, you're right. That's a, that's a far cry from, from what we're seeing in college station right now. Yeah. And Jimbo came out earlier, but two, three weeks ago and said that the plan has always been to kind of have somebody in place to call plays, maybe by year five, year six, whatever it might be. <laughs> I never thought I'd hear him say that now that it's out there in the ether and they are struggling offensively. When you look at the stats, it's just not what we thought they would be. But what does that do? Hess? like calling plays is one thing you need a new influence to inject new ideas and new schemes into what you're doing right now. Just calling the same plays is not going to accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. Oh, it, right? it, it, it can't. My, my opinion, it would, it needs to be an outsider. Yeah. It needs to be somebody that's not been in that building. And that's no disrespect to those coaches that are in that building. Actually, I've played for some of those coaches. I think they're really good football coaches. But if you want to switch it up, it can't be with the same principles in the coaching tree that they learn. You go and you bring in someone from the outside to bring in new ideas, new philosophies. And if you want to, you know, pair some of the things that you've always done that you believe in now, you know, that's always a slippery slope as well. But like that feels like it almost has to be done, C.D., Speaking of those coaches, like for some reason in the offseason, didn't they just reshuffle a lot of the positions that they were coaching? And I, I quarterback don't went to tight ends, tight ends went to quarterback. Uh, I got a receiver went somewhere. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think James Coley went from, let's see, he was, he was at one day. I know Damian Craig was at receivers. He goes to quarterback. I think Daryl Dickey was at tight end. He went to receivers. Coley was at receivers, he went to tight end or some version. Yeah. Of that, which was just it was a head scratcher, yeah. but now we know like they knew there was going to be issues with this offense and they were trying to you know jolt some life into it. Yeah, all right, big turn. Right, we, could spend, we, spend, we could spend the whole yeah, pre gaming the SEC on what's going on right now, currently in College Station, where they are a 24 and a half point dog this week against Oof. Alabama. So we need to move on, no doubt. But hey, like you said, has it's our show, we can talk about what we want. Um, CD, I like that idea of coming back and revisiting stuff at the midway point. But I, I do want to go back to, like you said, you guys had preseason thoughts in the negative sense on AM. You were lower than consensus on Arkansas. Arkansas has now dropped two straight. Schedule's not getting easier here. You got at Mississippi State, at BYU coming up. 
So Razorbacks last week get down early to Bama, fight back, and then Bama pulls away late. Let's go last call on the Razorbacks here, CD. Well, what were we talking about in the in the offseason? It was how they were going to replace the production of Traylon Burks. Uh, I don't know that they've necessarily been able to do that. They certainly don't have the one guy. It's been kind of more by committee, but I don't see consistent explosive plays in the passing game. Um, the running game's been tremendous, obviously. I, I think, Hester, that they have the best offensive line in the conference. I mean, you, you, and that's not saying a ton because I don't. I think there's a lot of very average offensive lines. And I, I, I may take that back because I did see some market improvement from Alabama on Saturday. Um, but we can get into that in a later in a, a bit later. But like Arkansas's run game is, is legit. Um, but the, the the things that we've seen on defense and we were concerned about it, you know, losing uh, Hayden Henry, losing Grant Morgan, obviously, you know, I think that's the, been the biggest hit. Yeah. I, I, Traylon Burks has, has been massive, but I think like if, you know, two players to make up for one, but I think the two linebackers and losing the ability to do things that other teams didn't do, which was play physical in the middle, get guys on the ground. They miss that more than anything. Have you ever seen a team though? That is a bigger dichotomy with what they've been able to do prior to the Alabama game in terms of sacking the quarterback and putting pressure on the opposing quarterback and yet being so bad in the back half of the defense. Like normally those things work hand in hand together. And yet it's kind of been quite the disconnection here. No, I'm with you. And that defense has always been one that I could turn on the tape and I can like immediately know, okay, here's the front, here's the coverage, here's what they're going to do. And, you know, here's where guys are supposed to be. And I lost a little bit of that. So it makes you think some of that is communication. Some guys, and remember, I mean, they lost Greg Brooks and Fouché from that defensive backfield that are now yeah. starting for LSU. Yeah. Like that's a lot of starts. Not to mention lost. Catalan who, you know, goes out with the injury as well. And exactly. And- so, I mean, I mean, we're being being pretty pretty obviously harsh here on the defense. I think because we've come to expect, you know, a, a, a great defense. It's not elite, but a, a great defense that you knew exactly what their identity was. And you start talking about the. I mean, look, Greg Brooks is is a guy that we just saw in the LSU Alabama game. And uh, that that that's a dude that yeah. you lost, and you've lost multiple dudes because of graduation, because of injury, because of transfers. There, there's this is no disrespect. But I honestly believe that there's a couple different schools in this conference that are suffering now because the expectation level got overinflated due to early success that probably was achieved prematurely. Like I look at Arkansas being one of those teams. South Carolina is probably another yeah. one. Um, I, I, it's a great I honestly, point. honestly believe that you know Arkansas had a lot of work to do and the foundation – they they needed to rebuild from the ground up and and they're doing that and they're they're they're, they're on a great pace right now but people are going to look at it as taking a step back this year if they don't right the ship and and it's going to be viewed as a uh, a poor uh, season and i don't know if it should because of of really where they were and, and some of the overachievement that took place I mean, some of that's fair. I think it is. I think when you overachieve, when you're ahead of schedule, like we like to say, maybe our expectations change a little bit. But I'll I'll be completely honest. If you would have said, hey, Arkansas is going to have the 13th points per game defense and the 13th yards per game defense, I would have called you a liar to your face. Like, it's still shocking to see them there. It makes sense. Like, we, we lay it out. And how many guys you're missing and new guys and even some of the new guys aren't playing right now, but that's been completely 
shocking to me. And I think the fans realize what Sam Pittman is, which is the perfect person for that job. They're going to win a game. I still think they're going to be the big boy. I still think they're going to find a way. Again, I don't know who that is, but this is a team that they had the A&M game. They had a, a play here. They're certainly the fumble. If not, they win that game. And Alabama's Alabama. And you're just not quite ready to have a matchup with the number one, number two team in the country and go out there and be successful, which there's no shame in that. But they got to get their defensive issues fixed or it's going to be a long day when they play some of these teams still up on their schedule. No doubt. All right, Big Turp, turp. who we got? Let's just go to the – oh, by the way, last call, NL East still runs through Atlanta. It does. Chop on. Let's <laughs> go. go. Braze. If you're a Mets, Mets fan listening to this to podcast, it. sucks to suck. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about it. It does. Um, it does. We, we love you for your SEC love, but, yeah, but that, you, you made a bad choice in your baseball team. Sorry, I'm a Falcons fan. I made a bad choice there. Oh, God. Uh, yes, you did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I'm, a, I'm a Bush League Bolts fan, so, hey, we're there together. It's all right. Um, other side of that Arkansas-Bama game. Let's go Bama. I mean, that's yeah. – Go ahead, Hess. You, you start it. Again, for me, I mean, it's easy. It's an easy one. I mean, they got their swagger back after the close call against Texas. They just like, okay, well, they they do what they do. They find a way to kind of hone back in, refocus. I've been in those meeting rooms with Nick. He's the best at doing it. He's going to have his teams ready to play. And a game like that, he can coach off that for the rest of the year. And they had to have young receivers step up. And they've done that over the last couple of weeks. That was the missing piece. We talked about it last week. If that continues to happen, good luck. Just good luck against them. They're going to be the old Alabama that you've got to play your absolute best to go out there and beat them. And they played angry. They played pissed off last week, almost like, okay, y'all think they should be in this game? Y'all think the 17 points is is too much? Like these two idiots on this podcast? (laughs) Okay, watch this. We're about to go house these boys, and we're about to go show them exactly what Alabama football is all about. That's that's what I'm going to take away. That's my last call for them. You've been put on notice because Alabama seems like they are back to playing that style where they want to prove to everyone, every game, every play that they're Alabama football. Well, a couple things that I want to talk about, and you, you said it was plain and simple, the wide receivers. The wide receivers are a big part of that, but I thought the offensive line took a big step forward as well. Um, heading into the game, we talked an awful lot about their struggles over the last five games that, that Bryce Young has quarterbacked on the road, true road games, and how they, they struggled. Now, they, they still had too many penalties, 10 penalties in the ball game on Saturday, but they only gave up one sack. And they were able to run the ball for over 300 yards. And this was uh, uh, against, you know, the number one sack defense in the entire country that the quarterbacks combined were under very little pressure the entire the entire afternoon. I still think there's room for improvement. I, I went, went back and counted probably six or seven drops, balls that should have been caught by the receivers. But um, there there were a lot of young guys that showed up. Kobe Prentice was uh, was tremendous. Isaiah Bond had a couple big plays. Um, good to have JoJo Earl back in there as well, scoring a touchdown. So there there was a lot to hang your hat on. Um, and what looked like it could have been a very competitive, tough test for them going on the road was yeah. was pretty pretty looked pretty easy early on. But I'll say this: biggest play of the Alabama season to date, third and fifteen, Jalen Milrow scrambles when they're up five 77 yard run uh and the and the complexion of the game changes yep. there at the beginning of the fourth quarter yeah i agree with that and also jameer gibbs this yep. was his alabama breakout performance and 
you kind of been waiting on it. Like you saw flashes of it. This was the breakout performance. And if they get him going. Pass. I'm, I'm, I'm sad because I took a dark horse flyer on Jalen, uh, excuse me, on uh, Jameer Gibbs as uh, my Heisman Trophy guy, like if uh, the off the radar guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, I think it was like plus 800 maybe or something. It, it, if he would have been having the opportunities early in the season, this guy could be squarely in the Heisman Trophy race. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of people have been waiting for the opportunity to see him get out in the open like he did, and he certainly did not disappoint. What else we got, Big Terp? Uh, the only SEC ball carrier who was moving faster than Jameer Gibbs on that one of those long touchdown runs, Quinshawn Judkins. <laughs> Freshman, 106 yards, second leading rusher now in the conference, tied with uh, Marshawn Lloyd for six touchdowns. That's the most in the conference. So let's go Ole Miss here. Big yes. win there. Big win. What do we got yes. here, CD? I think we missed a perfect opportunity for hold my beer between Quinshawn Judkins and Barry and Brown, two true freshmen that have speed to burn, that were making big play after big play, matching each other. Like it, it's fun to watch Quinchon Judkins, and we heard a lot about him in the preseason. But you know, having a little bit more opportunity with Zach Evans having been banged up and what he brings in terms of home run threat, it, it's it's fun to watch that offense. A little different offense, and credit Lane Kiffin for understanding his roster, playing to the strengths yeah. of the the, the personnel that he has on the depth chart they've uh they've, they've they've certainly put the onus on the offensive line and the running backs to be kind of the, the drink that stirs the or the straw that stirs the drink there but we would be remiss not to talk about defense and the defense particularly the red zone defense is what ultimately uh was the the deciding factor in that game they uh able to to only allow Kentucky 19 points and five red zone yeah. trips, get two turnovers down there in that part of the field late. I was a little skeptical after I watched what happened uh, with Tulsa running for 260 yards against them the previous week. But even with Chris Rodriguez back, they only gave up a little over hundred yards defensively. Yeah. On the, yeah, on the if, I wish if Cavassier smoke stays in that game, uh, that, that felt like it was a really good duo for them because Chris Rodriguez, you knew he couldn't play as much as he typically plays. I mean, I get it. Like being in shape and being in football shape is completely different. You can yeah. do everything that you want to do in practice until you start getting hit, until you start going out there and actually playing plays. And there was times he had to come out of the game. And once Cavassier Smoke wasn't in the game, they they just didn't have an advantage. Uh, after you get past those two backs, the other backs for Kentucky, they've struggled, in my opinion. They've had some spot stuff here and there. But that's a position that's kind of struggled for them. That's why they only averaged 81 yards on the ground because it was really Cavassier smoke, and that was kind of where it stopped. And so I would have been interested to see what they could have done if they would have had their duo there. But you have to credit Ole Miss. And Ole Miss right now is actually playing a really high level of defense. They're only giving up 198 yards through the air, 117 on the ground, and only 11.8 points per game. I mean, this is a defense that is completely improved. They don't look like the same unit that we've seen over the last couple of years. And so I think that that gives them a different dynamic. It gives them a toughness that they haven't necessarily had. When you run the football, that's also going to give you a toughness. They run the football at a better clip than anybody in the SEC. I mean, when you look at rushing yards per game, they're at 261.8. Next to them, you got to go 10 full yards to Alabama's 251.4. I mean, this Ole Miss team, their identity is we want to run the football and we want to play physical defense. And I realize that if you don't do a deep dive into the conference, if you're just kind of 
assuming because you think you know the coaching style of Lane Kiffin, you're like, oh, they're throwing it around with Jackson Dart. That's not how they're winning games. They're winning games because they've got one of the most talented running back rooms in the country, and they play a high level of physicality on defense. So that's who they are. That's yeah. their identity. That's who they're going to try to be the rest of the season. Look, and I can appreciate that. I mean, Kentucky's a team that they hang their hat on all those things, and they have more points than Kentucky. Was there opportunities for the Wildcats? A thousand. But if you don't take advantage of them, and I'm the other team, I'm going to try to have the last laugh, which Ole Miss did. They had one opportunity at the end of the game. They stripped the ball, and they won the game. Yeah, I, I would say the one thing I, I want your opinion on, because I, I, I mentioned this this morning. We were uh, talking to a guest from Ole Miss, and like I was taking notes during the game on how comfortable I felt like Jackson Dart looked and how in command he was of the offense and some of the nice touch throws that he was able to drop in there to some of the receivers. Like I feel really good about where he is. And then I look up at the the box score and he's completed, you know, 52% of his passes. Obviously a, a bigger threat in the run game as the season's worn on, but where where are you with the quarterback position as a whole and Jackson Dart specifically? I don't think that it's going to be an offense CD that really calls for him to be Matt Corral ever. I think it's an offense that's going to, and I don't want to say game manager. I think he's more talented than that, but it's going to be an offense that's going to ask him to do certain things. And as long as he does those things, they're not going to try to make him be supernatural in any other aspect. At least that's what it feels like watching that game because I'm like you. I'm like, he's being efficient. Like, he's making plays. And I look at the box score. I'm like, have they not updated this yet? Is yeah. this <laughs> is this halftime stats? But if if we're saying that, isn't he doing exactly what they want him to do? Exactly. Be a distributor so of the football. Just yeah. continue to do it. A again, like, okay, so – and when I'm doing off-campus on SiriusXM and some of my co-hosts are from other – they, you know, they played in other conferences or on other conference channels on Sirius – and, you know, they think they haven't done a deep dive into Ole Miss, okay? They just assume they're like, oh, Jackson Dart must be throwing for like 300 a game. Oh, Lane likes to spin it around. That was like the narrative last week about that game. Oh, then these styles, they couldn't be any different. I'm like, actually, if you turn on the tape, they want to be the same team. They're like, what? I'm like, that's who they want to be. Yeah. Ole Miss wants to run the football and play defense with a physical nature. It's just, that's it's like, nope. And <laughs> they almost don't believe it. But that's, yeah. Lane, Lane, look, you, he does as good a job as anybody, I'd say in the country, of, okay, I've got A, B, and C. Well, I'm going to have my scheme match A, B, and C. Yep. I'm not going to try to force them to do something they can't. And that's the sign of a good coach, right? That's the sign of somebody that understands his personnel and understands that I, I got to put guys in positions to, to be successful and utilize those skill sets. All right, Big Terp, I know I'm talking my tongue dry here. Let's mow through. Let's go through some uh, rapid-fire last call here. Yeah, let's go skit. Uh, Kentucky, other side of that game, Georgia and LSU before we start spinning it forward. So, yeah, let's go with Kentucky. They lost that close oh. one, battled back from 14-0. Oh. Mm. I know. I know, Hasman, you were hurting during that game. I was hurting. I, okay, so <laughs> watching that game, like, I was going through a wave of emotions because, like, you just felt like Kentucky has fought so hard to be in a position as a top 10 team to go on the road and, and play against a damn good Ole Miss team and to have so many opportunities to win that game. I mean, we could go back and we could spend 10 minutes apiece on each play. I mean, 
when's the last time you saw a kickoff return for a touchdown where your own guy is sitting there and he's watching the ball and you trip over him? Yeah. I mean, you hit the game-winning touchdown pass, and it's a legal procedure because your veteran quarterback didn't allow everyone to get set. Yeah. I mean, we, we could go on and on and on. I mean, there was many, many moments in that game. Now, Ole Miss wouldn't want it. I'm giving them all the credit in the world. But I thought Kentucky was ready for that. And I think that's what surprised me the most. I thought in that situation, if it if the situation arises, they're going to grab it and they're going to go win this game. And when it did, they didn't grab it. And they had three or four chances to grab it, and they missed every time. That was the, the most surprising thing over the college football weekend for me. I look at that the same way as you do, but I also look at it as glass half full, too, because this was a, a, a team that was on the verge of getting blown out early in that game. It looked like Ole Miss was going to give it to them, and they found a way to fight back in that game. They also found a way to fight back when they make these mistakes. Will Levis fumbles the ball inside the 20-yard line late in the fourth quarter, and the defense goes out there, gets a three and out, gets the ball right back for them. They, they made plays when they had to. They just didn't finish as well. And, and sometimes that's part of the, the growth process. As you know that, like, a team that's not used to being in those positions in meaningful games sometimes has to, to, to struggle yeah. and fail to learn how to be successful. And I think that game leaves a lot of Kentucky fans feeling – um, empty and that they, they oh. let one get away. But I yep. also think there's a bit of feeling a little moral victory as well. Like I actually feel, I don't feel any different about Kentucky than I did in the preseason. And maybe I didn't give Ole Miss enough credit in the preseason. Uh, that was a better Ole Miss team than I expected to see when, when I made that 11 and one selection for Kentucky. But I do still think that Kentucky is a quality team. And I do still think they have a chance to beat Georgia on November 19th. And I'm going to ride and die on that hill until I actually see it happen otherwise in November. No, they're absolutely a quality team. I still think they're in the conversation for third best team in the SEC. I think it was just the way they lost that game with the opportunities with, you know, Will Levis. And, and you felt like it was coming as soon as he kept his own read. Like the whole Everyone time. knew that. Everyone knew, like, and we all had the same feeling at the same time. We're like, no. Yeah. And look, was there a call that could have gone Kentucky's way? There was, but there, there was also on, on the next series, there was a face mask that could have gone Ole Miss's way. And so, like, you know, I, I don't think that was the story of the game. Was it a part? Yeah, it was a part. But there was a lot of plays in that game that became a part of the story. So it was an opportunity for Kentucky. They didn't take advantage of that opportunity. But for them, they still have everything in front of them as they control their own destiny in the SEC, and we'll see if the Wildcats can bounce back. All right, Big Terp, we going LSU or Georgia? Let's go to Georgia real quick. Is this uh, what's up with Georgia? Is it the curse of Peter Burns, or <laughs> is it deep? What's the up? <laughs> what's up with that? What's up? Uh, yeah, I think it's Peter Burns. I think we should fully blame Peter Burns. You know, he's going out there. No, I, so this is difficult, okay? Because the first game, I'm like, oh my god, uh, should we give him the trophy now after you beat Oregon forty nine to three? And then you beat South Carolina on the road 48 to seven. And I'm like, okay, is, is anybody going to be in the same realm as, as Georgia? And then they play Kent State and Kent State formation them to death. I mean, Kent State ran the goddamn Maryland eye against Georgia. I mean, they emptied the bag. And I'm like, okay, they still won the game by 17 points, but I'm like, Kent State had a pretty nice game plan. And then you play a Missouri team that should not have had any juice. Missouri should have had zero juice. I credit Eli Drinkwitz not only for Tank Top Tuesdays, <laughs> but for having his team ready to play. Dude, 
Yeah. They lost that Auburn game seven different ways. How in the world did he have his team ready to play a game against the then number one team in the country? That was amazing to me. And they had they had an opportunity to win that thing. I mean, if they don't get the false start penalty after they're on the one-yard line and they go score, I think we're talking about Missouri pulling off the major upset. So credit Georgia. They found a way. And for them, it look, they got to stay focused because they've got Auburn and Vanderbilt before they get to Jacksonville. They got to continue to stay focused. There's some things in the in the run game that are going to be question marks. Uh, the health of, of some of the receivers is a question mark. The young defense, and we saw them arguing on the sidelines, that's a question mark. Do I think they're in the tier one of college football? Yeah, they're still firmly in tier one. But some things have started to pop up that Kirby and his staff can now coach off of. Now, you've again, you've got Auburn and Vanderbilt. You're going to be heavy. You're a 30-point favorite against Auburn. You're going to be yeah. a 40-point favorite against Vanderbilt. You stay locked in. You stay focused. You have two get-right games. And then you move on and you get ready for Jacksonville. Of course, when I say Jacksonville, y'all know I'm talking about the Florida-Georgia game. Then you have Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. That's the bulk of your schedule you have to be ready for. They've got two games to get ready for that point. Let me ask you this question. I asked it to, to somebody else uh, this week on the radio. That four-game stretch, Jacksonville against Florida, home against Tennessee, on the road in Starkville against Mississippi State, on the road in Lexington against Kentucky. What's the record for the Bulldogs? Three and one. Three and one. You it, are more likely that they go four and oh or two and two in that stretch. Four and oh. Four and oh. Okay. That that's a tough slate. Very that, tough. I mean, you go to Starkville and Lexington. I, if you don't if you don't do deep dives into this conference and you think those are, are easy games, then you just don't watch a lot of SEC football. Yeah. That's two places that are, are difficult to play that don't get enough credit. Lexington was the best atmosphere that I've been in the SEC in five years yeah. last year. Yeah. It was the best. Is it 100,000 people? It's not. But that doesn't make an atmosphere. It was fantastic. Like, they are excited about where their football program is. And we know what Starkville can be, the Cowbells, the whole deal. So, yeah, look, that's, that's tough. And I can see them losing the game. In fact, I think they will lose the game. It'll be 3-1. and one, But I think they're more likely to go 4-0 and than 2-2. Two and two, But it, it's which games. And – Look, Florida and Tennessee are going to take a lot of mental and, and physical just pounding to your football team. And, you know, that's why, like, Mississippi State and Kentucky being on the road those next two weeks is even more important. But they got to be ready for that, and they got to take care of business the next two weeks because that's who we're going to find out exactly where George is at. And, and they, you know, for them, they probably hope that they don't have to have help, right, if Tennessee or Kentucky only has one SEC loss. Real quick on Georgia, um, I will say that uh, the sign of a champion is is a team that can fix whatever ails them yep. in time to to pull the game out. And they did that. They were able to lean on the offensive line. The offensive line had their struggles in the first three quarters. Way too much penetration. And credit Missouri, as you mentioned, Coach Drink had those guys ready to go. But I thought they made some some serious. Uh, disruption with the uh, penetration up front, not only against the run, but rushing the passer, uh, disrupting you know any rhythm that, that Stetson Bennett ever tried to get into. Uh, but at the end of the day, they leaned on that offensive line, and this was a team that rushed the ball for three yards per carry through the first three quarters, only to, to rush for about seven yards a carry in the fourth quarter. Uh, so going back to the, 
going back to the roots has sometimes you got to yep. go back to the roots who you used to be and uh and, and remind yourself that you still got that in you somewhere down deep inside yeah i am not bailing on the georgia bulldogs i think we need to relax take a deep breath they'll do so as well they're going to come out i expect them to win big this weekend and they'll get back on track all right uh, i'll go ahead and dive into my last call for lsu they're going to fight like hell they're going to play to the final whistle they're going to try to find themselves back into every game they make incredible halftime adjustments but in the sec you can do that in some places you can't do that everywhere and they're about to get into the portion of their schedule where you might get too far behind if you start off slow Who's the worst slow? Who's the worst slow starting team in the in the conference? Kentucky, Georgia, LSU. I mean, uh, there's a, a, a ton the, the of list teams is long somewhere. and distinguished, if you will. I like, and they did it against Mississippi State. They're down thirteen nothing. They get the ball. They go have a hell of a two minute drill. They score thirteen to seven and different ball game. Same thing against Auburn. They put a drive together. Uh, actually, they get a defensive touchdown. B.J. Ojolari makes a hell of a play. J. Ward picks it up. Then they go get a, a touchdown right before half. They make it 17-14, and they make enough plays somehow, some way, throwing for five yards in the second half. Yeah, You won a game in the SEC on the road in which you were down 17 to nothing, and you threw for five yards in the second half. In 2022. This wasn't 1922. <laughs> yeah, not, not 19, <laughs> uh, but – I love the fight. I love that Brian Kelly's already got the ear of the team. You don't come back if you don't. Yeah. Like you're not able to come back in games against Mississippi State and Auburn if you don't. He does. I think Matt House is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country at coming up with a game plan and adjusting. I think he's just shown that what he did to Mike Leach in the Mississippi State. Nobody else has done that. Yeah. No, nobody's done that. And he did it and he's adjusted against Florida State. He's made adjustments against Mississippi State, even though they did have first half success, and he made adjustments against Auburn. Look, you watch that tape. They're playing, it looks like they're playing a version, like almost like a match 44. They're playing like a version of quarters, and they've got matchups with the linebacker and with the nickel, and the safeties were taught all during the week, and you could tell because they were taught, okay, you're going to play quarters, but if you're not threatened, you're basically you're coming downhill now yeah. if the quarterback gets out of the pocket, which – that's what they thought they needed to do. And Auburn roasted him. Like Ashford went out there and, and made the plays he had to make and credit to him. But then they came back and Brian Kelly said it going into halftime to Katie George. Like, look, we thought they were going to do this. They didn't. We got to adjust. They adjusted. It was a different ball game. And so you can do that, but you can't do it every week. You certainly can't do it this week against Tennessee CD. That will get you beat because Tennessee will have 24 points and – they're playing at that that pace that's so fast. If they get the ball coming out of half, they can score in three plays. All of a sudden, you look up, you're down 31, yeah. and you can't come back. You know, the, th the thing about this LSU team is, I agree with you, they play really hard. The offense is not the most aesthetically pleasing to watch, but the defense is a lot of fun. And you and I spent a lot of Thursday evening last week texting about the, the LSU defense and mm -hmm. what they do. And the reason that they're so good on that side of the ball, I agree with you. Matt House is tremendous. It was a great hire by Brian Kelly, getting him to come back from the NFL to the SEC. But they have such athleticism on the defensive side of the ball, such versatility, the way that they can use all these different guys in so many different ways and how fast they play, how physical they are when they get to the ball. The rally to the football is, yeah. is amongst the best that I've seen in a long time. And the tackling is, is usually very, very sound. 
So I, I like what they're able to do in terms of, of uh, showing different looks and fooling opposing quarterbacks. And uh, it's just fun to see how Matt House is using all of these different athletes in so many different ways. All right. So quickly, let's spin this into the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC. We've got a handful of games. We have, you know, three, four, five games that we want to preview here in this episode. Let's go ahead and start there. LSU, Tennessee. We've already talked about it. It's a noon Eastern, 11 local time kick. You have Tennessee. We know who they are. We know they want to go fast. We talked about the LSU defense. I think the story here is LSU's offense versus Tennessee's defense. Tennessee's defense will show that they'll give up yards. They'll give up points. LSU's offense, though, has to make strides because yeah. you can't you can't play the same that you played against Auburn and expect to be successful against Tennessee. Like you were holding on to the football. The offensive line gave you time. You're not making throws. Receivers aren't running, you know, they're not running the best routes. There's a lot of deep routes, which I think you need. If you if you're going to be who they are so far, intermediate routes might might work out the best. Mason Taylor is your most targeted guy. He's a true freshman. He's just he's struggling a little bit. He's a true freshman in the SEC. You, you've got some Jimmys and Joes that you probably need to start giving the ball to, finding a way to get that, you know, Kayshawn Booty in space, Jack Bash, and, and Malik Neighbors. Like, you have the weapons. I think you're going to have to change what you thought the scheme of this offense was going to be because right now when you look at it, there's a lot of quarterback in the pocket. He's got time. The routes are deep. He's patting the ball. And he doesn't have any interceptions, and that's good. But sometimes you're like, "Hey, take a chance. Yeah, try to fit it in a window. Like yeah. you don't have to be perfect. Like you probably need to go ahead and see, and trust your arm here on this play because you're trying to be perfect here. It, it is a uh, it's an intriguing couple battles within the the the, the war, uh, strength against strength. Uh, that LSU defense against Tennessee's offense. I just don't see. I mean, Hinden Hooker over a long period of time, right? Trust is developed with consistent behavior over a long period of time. And over a long period of time, I've seen Hinden Hooker make good decisions, protect the football, distribute it well. Like, I don't see LSU all of a sudden making him into something he's not. And I'm with you. My concern for LSU is their inability to take advantage of what Tennessee gives up. Now, I didn't think that Florida was going to be able to do it. And all of a sudden, Anthony Richardson went out there and had a career night against the Vols in Knoxville. But I, I just, I don't know if Jaden Daniels can do the same thing. I don't know if there's the same weapons at, at wide receiver. I mean, I, I think I've been a little underwhelmed by what I've seen from the receiving court at this point in the season for LSU. But I, I, I do think for whatever reason that this is an intriguing matchup at an intriguing point in the season. LSU catching Tennessee coming off their bye week. Uh, so some some chance to to maybe get rest up, rest healthy, get healthy. I don't know. I don't expect Cedric Tillman to be back, but we're we're seeing you know some other guys step up for the Tennessee Vol uh, at the wide receiver spot. But I just um, would you be surprised? I know we don't typically pick games here, but how how likely is a an LSU upset? You know this team well. You're there in Baton Rouge. You see them a lot. What? How likely do you? you feel like this upset victory is? I mean, there's an opportunity for sure. Like if, if LSU was able to pull off the victory, I would not come on this show next week and be like shocked. Now, Tennessee's a favorite on the road, and they should be the favorite on the road. 
right? I mean, we've seen them go into pit and, and, you know, change the way they had to win a game and, and they kind of change their style in that pit game and, and they get a victory. Like we've seen them for really two years now. And there's not, you know, not a surprise that they are the, the team that's favored here, but look, LSU, make no mistake about it. They got the ability. They have the talent. That defense is going to put a game plan together. And I'm interested to see what it is because they've done a nice job of scheming different opponents based off what that team does well. My question for LSU is, can they make the strides enough offensively to be able to keep up if it does, for some reason, become a shootout? Like, do they have that ability? This offense is built off quarterback runs, making big plays in the run game, and they've, you know, hit some big plays in the passing game, but it's mostly been Jaden Daniels with his legs. It's been John Emery. It's been Armani Goodwin. It's been in the run game. So, like, I need to see that LSU can go make plays in the passing game. Do they have a chance? Yeah. It's not even crazy if they win this game, but they have to do more in the passing game if they want that opportunity. I feel like it's become a little bit of a popular pick to uh, go with LSU in the upset bid here. I've heard a couple of people make that call this week. Rat so, poison. Uh, it's rat poison, CD. You're not hearing it? You're not having it? No, uh, you know, anytime you're in the actual city, no, you're not hearing that. That is not something I've heard so far. But look, I, I do expect a great game. I do. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to show where LSU's at currently. I don't think they're the team that, you know, lost to Florida State. Um, I think they have a higher ceiling than that. Now, you know, what that ceiling looks like, I think this game tells a lot of that story. And for Tennessee, this is a game that they're supposed to win. If they want to get to the point where they're playing for a championship in Atlanta at the end of this year, they're supposed to win this game. So yeah. I'll be intrigued to see where both teams are. Right, that, yeah, that noon window, noon Eastern is solid. We got the LSU-Tennessee game. Also, Arkansas going to Starkville. Mississippi State favored by eight points here. Interesting one. What are we thinking? You know what has – I can't help but think – and no disrespect to you and your alma mater, but that Mississippi State let one get away. You know, that the, the chance to put LSU away earlier in the game, if they could have finished some drives, um, the, the, the game seemed to turn on the Austin Williams muff punt. Like, I think, I think Mississippi State is of the elite top tier in the SEC. Maybe, maybe not the same breath as, as Georgia and Alabama, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him beat one of those two this year. Like, I, I, I think Mississippi State is a lot better than most people are giving them credit for. And I think they'll look back and regret that they didn't win that game in Death Valley a couple of weeks ago. Now, not taking anything away from LSU because I thought they had a great plan and they executed it well defensively. But um, I, I don't think people realize just how good um, Mississippi State is. I feel like and maybe I, the, the pollsters did, though, because they're still ranked ahead of LSU. And they had the same record. And not to say that, that you know, like you said, LSU went and won that game. They had a good game plan. But I don't think the pollsters have allowed that to take away from what Mississippi State is, which typically they don't do that. So I'm, I'm glad at least that someone is recognizing that this is a, a team that can go out there and win every game on their schedule. I mean, you, you agree with me, though, right? You, you feel the same way about Mississippi State that I do, right? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I was saying, why are we not talking about Mississippi State like we're talking about Texas A&M coming into yeah. the season? Yeah. Right, let, me, let me ask you this, and this might halt pregame in the SEC, and we might not even finish our, our previews here. 
I think Mississippi State as a program is ahead of Texas A&M. It's in a better standing than Texas A&M. And when I said that on off campus earlier today, I mean, messages just flowing. And are you crazy? Like, what are you drinking? I'm like, well, tell me how they're not. They have a better conference record over the last two years. They've beaten you head to head over the last two years. They have stability in their offense and defensive coordinator that you currently don't have. Like you can have all the, the things that you have and the bells and whistles and the recruiting classes, but it's about developing in this league as well. And how are they not in better standing? It's not saying 10 years down the road, they will be, but currently as we sit, how can I say otherwise? Pess, who is in charge of Texas A&M's PR, because I want to hire them. And I said it the other day on our show on the SEC Network, A&M's best season is their offseason. They dominate the offseason. But when it comes time to actually playing games, all that hype goes away. Like, who's in charge of of spinning things for Texas A&M? Because they're doing a tremendous job. And unfortunately, Mississippi State doesn't have that same PR person. No, I I think that's completely fair because – no one was talking about Mississippi State, even though they returned the most production in the SEC from a team that was 500 in the conference, has Will Rogers at quarterback, and also had the head-to-head victory over Texas A&M. It, just, it, it was mind-boggling at the time, and now I think it's even more mind-boggling because I'm like, they just did it again. But I think those are two programs um, that are going different directions right now. I like Mississippi State in this game. I don't know about the eight points. It seems like a lot. I think Mississippi State is going to feed off the energy they got from that victory over Texas A&M. Arkansas struggles defending the pass. Good luck. You got Will Rogers coming to town. It, well, that game is in Starkville. Um, yeah. Since Star Vegas. Yeah, like, dude, they got a pretty good home schedule this year. Getting a chance to, to have A&M come to town, Arkansas coming to town. They get Georgia coming to town later in the year. Like that's a, that's a pretty favorable home schedule. And, I guess it's just a, a byproduct of playing in the SEC. It is a grind in Look, every if got, team. If you got Georgia and Alabama on the schedule, throw us a bone and give it to us at home. Yeah. They get Alabama at home too? <laughs> no, but uh, I'm saying you ask for it. Yeah. You're like, hey, can y'all just throw us something? Yeah. We're going to put these teams on our schedule. Yeah, no doubt, man. But um, I'm with you on that. What else? Uh, I'm, I, I think uh, I'm uh, two, two opposite directions, as you yeah. said there, for these two programs. So what else we got, Big Turp? I'm curious about this Missouri-Florida game, also a part of that uh, 12 p.m. slip. It's in Gainesville, and the Gators are an 11-point favorite, both looking for their first SEC win. Who do you think gets it here? Is it the Gators? I mean, they are that bigger favorite, but Missouri yeah. played Georgia tough. They did. I, th- I think it's the Gators here. Uh, Missouri, look, I am tipping my cap to you, like right here, like tip my cap to you for being ready to play that game last week. I don't know how in the hell you got it done. Eli, nice job. Blake Baker, hell of a job. Because that team should have been deflated after what happened in Auburn, Alabama. They weren't. But, gosh, you just have to imagine the last two weeks have been so taxing on them physically and emotionally. I just I, Can they get ready for a, a third one in the swamp? I, I just don't think they can get it done. That, it, 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 that gas tank's got to be running yeah. dry at this point in time after those two, two games they played the last two weekends. So, uh, it'll be tough going on the road here, Florida celebrating homecoming for whatever that means nowadays. But uh, yeah. I uh, used to be directional state. You it's not usually yeah. wasn't a conference though. Yeah, I, I just I don't know about um, you know it, it those those games the Thursday and Sunday games for South Carolina and Florida 
not a ton to take away from from those games. Florida did have some explosiveness and uh, and some big scoring plays that I hadn't necessarily seen consistently earlier in the season. Maybe that's starting to be a trend for them since the trip to Knoxville two weeks ago. But um, I do think, I mean, I think Florida probably wins the game. I, I just don't, I don't know if they cover the 11 at this point. All right, real quick before we hit best bets, um, A&M last year obviously was in College Station and an 18-point dog. This year they are in Tuscaloosa as a 24-point dog. Is there a miracle happening here? I mean, I mean, Alabama's going to take their frustration after the all-season spat between Jimbo and Nick in this game. It's coming out, right? It's got to be I mean, the crowd. The crowd's going to be, and Bryant Denny's going to be at an 11. And look, they've won so many games, and, and they expect to win every game, and I understand it. They're, they're, they, they've set a standard that's, that's hard to beat. And so, you know, they go to games, and they expect to win, and, and they – 99.9% of the time they do win those games and they don't get a chance to maybe be as enthusiastic as they want to be. Well, that's all coming out this game. Yeah. I that's, got a feeling they're going to be cheering all game long. Revenge factor for beating them last year in college station. Yep. Revenge factor for getting in a spat with your legendary coach. Oh, by the way, you know, Alabama seems to be hitting their stride right now. And there's like a fish. It's kind of flopping a little on its side out there in the ocean. There's a little trail of blood that's coming, <laughs> and Alabama smells that blood, and yeah. they're going to absolutely not—they're not taking the foot off. And one thing Coach Saban usually does is takes the foot off a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening here. Oh, there's no throttle. There's no throttle, and and for A and M. I just I can't find a way that you're going to be in this football game. I know we probably said the same thing at this time a year ago. But I can't. I can't get there. There's offensively. There's there's no Smith. There's no Isaiah Spiller from a year ago. Like and again, I just I can't get you to a victory here. And for all the reasons you laid out, for Alabama to be motivated for this game, there was no look ahead from Arkansas last week. They did what they had to do in that game, and I really don't even. I don't think it matters which quarterback for Alabama plays. I don't. They're going to go out there, and they're going to be so focused for 60 minutes that I can't see them even struggling for any portion of this game. Can you imagine uh, a, a, a script that allows them to win? Like last year, Calzada came out of nowhere and had a career night himself, and, and maybe that was – and the defense played really, really well. But I, we're seeing Alabama play at home. Offensive line's playing better. Receivers are playing better. Not sure of the status of, of Bryce Young at this point in time. but. That offensive line for AM is not good at all. And you think about what that defensive front for Alabama is doing right now in terms of yeah. licking their lips and getting some revenge for, for last year and how that the big plays they give up uh, end up costing them the game. That, that, that's going to be an interesting script to watch play out on Saturday. All right, real quick before we get to best bets, a game that we've talked a lot about Georgia. Obviously, Auburn right now, they're reeling. And – they're three and two, but the Mizzou game, the way it played out, you almost feel like that was a loss. You blow a 17 point, point lead to LSU. You're 30 point dogs to Georgia. Is there anything in this game for you? Is it, is it a Georgia steamroll? Is there anything that, that Brian Harson and Auburn can do? I just, I, I don't see it. And in, in the times there in Auburn, Alabama, we, we all know kind of what's going on on the outside and what that really looks like. I, I just, I can't, 
I can't fathom they're going to be a factor into this game. Dude. I saw some fight last week. Make no mistake, I saw fight, but Georgia's looking to bounce back as well. Yeah, but they were looking to bounce back this past week against Missouri. Like that's why I went all in on the Bulldogs. One of my best <laughs> bets, my losing best bets. I thought they would have the focus level um from that they didn't have against Kent State. And and they they just didn't. They come out, turn the football over twice in the first half. Uh, you know, are, are allowing some big plays to Brady Cook in that Missouri offense. Like just very surprising some of the things that we're seeing right now from Georgia. Um, so the fact that they're favored by 30 points, I got burned last week by Georgia when they were favored by 28 points. Uh, I don't know that I would be all that uh, gung ho about laying the laying the points right now, given what I've seen from Georgia the last two, two weeks. All right. Speaking of best bets, big Terp. Uh, another losing week for your boy. Go ahead and uh, and let the people know. It's all right. Over the last two weeks, your aggregate up. So CD last week, two and two misses on Georgia and Arkansas. I uh, feel like I got robbed on the Arkansas when it's a five point uh, game at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Are you kidding me? I mean, you can't yeah, I'm right and a chance you. to backdoor it late in the game. Like uh, th- that was set <laughs> for the perfect backdoor opportunity. Yeah, uh, Vegas will take all those chips, sir. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I mean, we'll take, they'll do it in cool the Bahamas story, as bro. well. Anyway. Uh, on that bad snap on the punt, you're just counting the winnings. All yeah. Just like, oh, this is sweet. Nope, that's a miss, unfortunately. Uh, we were all in that boat. Hit Kentucky plus seven. Hit Mississippi State minus three. The, this is the Kentucky one was the same thing. Down early, came and come back. Said, okay, this is setting up pretty nicely. They could even win this game. That ends up being a hit. Mississippi State is never really a doubt there. Um, eight, eight, and one on the year. Very so average. Very not, average right now. It's not losing. Uh, in terms of units, it might be, but we don't do that. We do records. Uh, Hess, seven, or, uh, seven, eight, and one on the year after the one and two week hit Kentucky plus seven. There we yeah. go. Now I miss also on Arkansas and miss on LSU. I thought I was going mm, to, look mm, down no, 17, nothing. I'm like, oh, I'm not getting minus eight and a half. When Greg Brooks intercepted that pass and he looked like he was going to go. I was like, did I just find a way to win this bet? Now as an LSU guy, I didn't care. I was happy that the Tigers, the other, you know, the Tigers that weren't the home team found a way uh, to win the game, but it looked like oh, he was going the distance for all thought. those holding an LSU minus eight and a half ticket. It looked like your dreams had been answered there, but I know, uh, I know but Hey, you know what, uh, you know, for it being my school, I typically don't even put LSU in my best bets. Felt good about it, but Hey, they found a way to get a victory. And now look, you know what I got to do last time I said it, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick four games and I'm not going to lose one. I went three Oh and one. I didn't lose. Hess, I don't Any know games. if I like the card, though. You like the card for four deep this week? I don't love it at all, but you know what? <laughs> know. Scared money don't make money. I told you that. That's your guy's quote. That's Billy Napier's quote. <laughs> all right? So I got to go out there. I got to redeem myself. What four uh, games? We won't know until probably in the wee hours of Friday night or yep. very early Saturday morning. Just stay tuned. Check in social media. We'll get that pushed out there by by, by kickoff for sure. <laughs> and then what's this uh, little kick. what's this little thing at the bottom here? Oh, Big Terps Locker Oh, okay, yep. okay. Yeah. Debut two weeks ago. We're yeah. what, five weeks into the season. I got two games on the record, but uh, zero yeah. losses. So yeah. you got, guy puts out one bet there, wins his first bet, make sure that everybody knows. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean – Anybody could have picked a Kentucky plus seven. That was the easiest bet on the slate. What was what was the uh, one you pushed on, Victor? 
shit, what was it? We, we, put, we, we all pushed on it two weeks ago. It was. What was it? Flo- no, it wasn't Florida. No, Florida. I won that one. We go back in the archives here. It was Arkansas plus two. That's what it was. On the doink. Should have been a winner. Should have been not even a close winner had KJ not fumbled there going in early in the ball game. Terrible. You know, so we'll this, call does, it this does feel like a, a different week. It feels like a different week because last week, CD, every time we brought up a game in pregame, he's like, lock yeah. it up. Yeah. Lock it. Put, a, yeah. lock it, sure. put hey, it up. The gambling gods don't like arrogance. There was too much arrogance, too much sauce. I was uh, too much out there. Mm. Yeah, you know what was a winner, though? Rips money line. And if you had a futures ticket out on NL East, come on. Hey, imagine being a Mets fan and thinking this whole time, imagine you're going to win the East. <laughs> you don't even need to finish that. So yeah. just imagine being a Mets fan. Enjoy that wild card round. Oh, Can't they're imagine. losing. There's no question they're losing that wild Who card have, round. Who they got? Padres, matter. I think. But yeah, yeah, I think it is Padres. They're playing um, themselves at this point. All right. La- last thing before we get out of here. Ole Miss minus 18 against Vanderbilt. Like That seems like a line that we should all jump on. Right. I mean, right. Vandy's coming off a bye, dude. Ole Miss I, just yeah. got done with a big physical game against Kentucky. I mean, yeah. but here's the thing. I, I, I put my money in the hands of Vanderbilt getting 42 against Alabama, which in hindsight was a poor, I mean, <laughs> in what, what world does that sound like a good place to put your money? Um, not this one. <laughs> yeah. Bad idea. Jeans. Not this one. Okay, well, we'll take a look at the board. We'll give you some games, you know, again, later on in the week. We always put those out there on our social medias. Remember, Instagram and Twitter, it is the same handle, at Pregaming the SEC. You can find us on YouTube. Just search Pregaming the SEC. Subscribe to our page there. Of course, like, do the whole deal. Spotify, Apple, you can find us there as well every single week. This has been... Week six of pre-gaming the SEC. Remember, brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro online. It's walk-ons.com. Uh, good luck to our uh, best bets, fellas. Even though we don't know what those are currently. Yeah, they'll, they'll come to us. Though, they'll come saying. to us like they always do organically. All right. Yeah. We will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Pre-gaming the SEC. We'll see you then.